morning, everyone. I thank you in Jesus' name. We're uh, just past Christmas, and we're enjoying Christmas songs and your and, and Christmas music has no doubt been going through your mind these days, yes, your mind. And uh, and yet we're at the at the end of the year also, and uh, so we're looking ahead to uh, 2021 is the Lord's theory. So the message that I have this morning is actually uh, sort of a combination of a Christmas message and a New Year's message. And uh, the title is Joy to the World. And uh, if we want to think about Christian joy, the Christian joy that uh, that is offered to us. And I'll begin in Luke 2, the familiar story of uh, the shepherds in the field. And they were surprised by an angel, shocked and terrified by an angel. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Joyful news. And not just any joy, but a great joy. And it wasn't in a vaccine or a pill or something that people would take to make them feel joyful, but there was a person born that day in the city of David, a Savior, Christ the Lord. And the shepherds, it says, returned to their fields and their sheep, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. And there were other people that were looking for the Messiah and open to the Messiah uh, who were blessed as well, reacted in the same way. I think of Simeon, uh, brought by the Spirit into the temple at the exact moment that uh, Mary and Joseph were there to uh, give their offering. The Messiah, joy, Simeon, praise and bless God. And Anna appeared at the same time, and she recognized the Messiah, joy, and she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of Him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. We, we prayed this morning uh, for our nation and world that is dark and troubled, and uh, that's how things were then. Uh, Jesus came into the world. It said that light, the light of him shone in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a lot of darkness. And I think of that when we sing uh, O Little Town of Bethlehem and the dark street and the light there in the stable of Bethlehem. But uh, there was sickness, there was death, there was cruelty and injustice. There was the bondage of sin, the consequences of evil, 
and fallen humanity, and the Messiah, Jesus Christ, was the answer for all those who believed and uh, accepted Him. And as the word went out, uh, John the Baptist uh, went to pre- ahead to prepare the way, and Jesus' ministry began, and he went from town to town to preach the gospel of good news of great joy. And it was much the same story uh, over and over. And one example, when Christ preached in Samaria and the people accepted, there were miracles worked also. And it says in Acts 8, and there was great joy in that city. And John wrote in 1 John, And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. There's a lot, there's a message, there's a practical message, there's a joyful message. We can find peace and joy in the dark. And uh, that story is true here in this church, in our hearts, it's true in China, it's true in Africa, it's true in Muslim countries, where Muslims are finding Jesus, and they're finding joy, a great joy. So, uh, what is this joy, and how do we find it? That's what we want to think about um, this morning in uh, our time here. So we, we kind of know what joy is. We all really do. Um, but let's begin by comparing Christian joy and earthly happiness. Both are warm and pleasant, enjoyable emotions. Uh, both are preferred to the more miserable emotions of anger or sorrow and so forth. And happiness is not a bad word, but earthly happiness is not Christian joy. Christian joy is a deep emotion. You know, the disciples, those two disciples who unaware were walking with Jesus, and Jesus was teaching them, their hearts burned within them. Earthly happiness is more superficial, on the surface. Christian joy comes from within. It's the result of, uh, of a changed heart. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's a spiritual disposition, you could say. A spiritual uh, something that wells up in us from a spiritual source. And earthly happiness is more dependent on how things are going for me, outward circumstances, um, pleasing stimuli that affect our emotions. This joy is dependent on, really, bottom line, dependent on our relationship with God. And earthly happiness depends on events that we enjoy, how people behave around us and treat us, about wishes coming through. Joy grows with our familiarity with God. The closer we grow to God, the greater grows our joy. 
true happiness, if the focus is on things, it tends to dim, uh, boredom tends to set in, and if it's dependent on people, there'll be disappointments and heartaches, and it's not, it's not um, stable, necessarily, usually. Christian joy is genuine. It's a genuine expression from the heart that knows God. Earthly happiness, it may be real. It may be a mask to cover inner, deeper unhappiness and anguish. And Christian joy can be stable and continue through the highs and the lows and the good times and the bad times of life. But earthly happiness waxes and wanes and ends when the fun, the activity, the event ends or a disappointment, crushing, sorrow, whatever comes. There's not a resource there to keep it propped up and generated. John said, Jesus said, the joy that I have for you your joy, no man taketh from you. But uh, Solomon said that uh, he was one that was pursuing, pursuing earthly happiness, and he said it's all vanity. It's all vanity. He tried all that stuff. Spent a life, a lot of his life, pursuing it. It was vanity. Now, joyful Christians do uh, enjoy earthly things, and happiness is not a bad word. Um, and they, Christians enjoy happy circumstances, uh, but it's all in the context of knowing Jesus. And regarding all things, all good gifts are from Him. And they are living for Him while they're enjoying these good things. And God wants us to enjoy these good things. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of light, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So how important is it uh, for us to have joy? Does it matter in a Christian's life? Well, I want to say we don't want to overemphasize the emotion, the joy, the experience that we can get unbalanced there and even do harm to ourselves. But the angel's message was that these are good tidings of great joy. Somebody was going to feel those, feel that joy, which shall be to all people. So it's, a, it's scriptural. Joy is scriptural. The Bible talks about it that your joy may be full. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, and what comes next? Joy. And peace and soul. It is, uh, it, it is intended to be a part of a Christian's experience. It's, uh, it's an indicator, it's a gauge, you could say, among others, that says something about our Christian life. 
what kind of Christian life we have. It's in the Bible. Joy is strengthening. That's another reason that it's important. One, one example, this is from the Old Testament actually, but uh, in uh, Nehemiah, after they had built the wall and the people were gathered and they were reading the law and it was a time for celebration, but the people were actually crying because of what they were hearing in the law. But uh, Nehemiah or Ezra, we're not sure exactly which one, said, For this day, he said to them, uh, Celebrate. For this day is holy unto our Lord, neither be ye sorry. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now we know, I felt it, you probably have too, how discouragement and despondency can kind of eat away your enthusiasm for life and energy. It affects our Christian life that way if we let it get the best of us. And with joy, joy being strengthening, the joy of the Lord, is your strength. Of strength and victory in Christ, through Christ, brings more joy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in Him, and I am helped. Therefore my heart greatly rejoices, and with my song will I praise Him. So the psalmist trusted God, Praise to God, he was helped by God. And the strength and the victory was of the Lord. And his joy increased. And his faith increased. In Romans 5, the part of Romans 5 teaches that. And joy enhances testimony. Uh, if Paul and Silas had been in the prison there in Philippi, crying, sobbing and moaning, um, the prisoners would have been less impressed, I think. The psalmist had troubles. God cared for him. The psalmist had a song of joy. I see it as the joy of the Lord. So, uh, if Christians are to have joy, should they always be joyful? Should Christians always be joyful? Can they lose their joy? Well, it's true. I mean, my testimony would be that Christians don't always feel joyful. Is that a problem? Maybe so. Maybe not. No, sometimes there's a confusion between faith and feeling. Somebody may feel that if I'm sad, that uh, I've lost the joy of the Lord. And may even doubt that God's favor rests upon him, or even salvation sometimes. But Christians are subject to a wide range of, a full range of emotions. Joy would be one, but they can feel anger. Uh, they can feel sadness and fear and affection and pity. We aren't just, when we're converted, 
program to eternally express joy. We're still creatures of a range of emotions. And we don't usually um, choose our emotional responses. We, circumstances, things happen, and, and we, we respond without uh, deciding what emotion we're going to feel now. If your family is camping and you're finally getting settled down for the night in your tent, and suddenly there's a loud growl and the tent comes crashing down and the children are all screaming, you don't think, what emotion would be appropriate for this moment? It's probably going to be there, isn't it? Now, we can choose how we respond to emotions. Sometimes we have to repent of how we behave uh, following anger or whatever. And our choices in that regard affect our character because uh, our character affects our emotional responses too. You know, what kind of people we are becoming. Emotions other than joy may come to the forefront in our, in how we're feeling and, and sort of dominate where we are. And uh, one example, uh, okay, this is uh, about an ungodly person. In Proverbs 14, verse 13, even in laughter, the heart is sorrowful and the end of that mirth is heaviness. So something was funny. And this, and this person laughed. Maybe he was looking for uh, amusement. That, that's very common. Uh, and that's what the world does. Looking for things to amuse them, to distract them from something. A heart that's sorrowful. It may be laughing and joking. But deep inside, there's still sorrow and dissatisfaction, a sorrowful condition, a sad state of affairs. They're not right with God. There's no basis for true joy. But on the other hand, a Christian, a fervent Christian, may come to a place of great grief and express grief. Uh, like Paul, grieved for the Jews. I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Or there can be a tragic accident. There can be funerals. We've gone through one here not long ago. And Sister Susie knows what this is about. But in the heart, the Christian believes in Christ, trusts in Christ, has joy in Christ. The Holy Spirit is there in that person's heart. And in their daily communion and walk with God, there's a basis for joy. And there's a condition in the heart that generates joy. Well, it's the Spirit there in the heart that is generating joy. And it will again be expressed. You hear that when you talk with Satan. 
If there is faith, if the heart is right before God and the favor and blessing of God rests on that person, joy will bubble forth, be expressed again. Psalm 42:11. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise Him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. So uh, we may be feeling sad and discouraged uh, at some point, but uh, if we're truly uh, Christ's disciples and devoted to Him. But there's something there that a non-Christian doesn't have, that an undevoted Christian may not have. So, uh, that's, that's one point there. The other uh, point is that there may be a lack of joy because there is a problem, a relationship problem. Sinners can't experience Christian joy. They don't know God. And so sometimes they're joyless. And carnal Christians, afraid of the judgment, but one part of them longs for Egypt, and they secretly wish for the forbidden, maybe even dabble in the forbidden, and their conscience may bother them, they may fearfully put it behind them once more, and they struggle along kind of joylessly. Or dutiful Christians where who find Christianity kind of a chore. They have decided to follow Jesus. And they're sensitive even, and they want to keep their promises but there's not joy or enthusiasm. There's something seems to be out of culture and also here. Uh, in the church to uh, in the church of Ephesus, uh, John wrote to the church of Ephesus in Revelation about them losing their first love. And when the first love is lost, joy is close behind. So, can anything be done? Well, to Ephesus, John wrote, Repent and do your first works. I want to touch on uh, three pursuits of joyful Christians. Three characteristics that I believe, and they're not the only ones, but three characteristics I believe you'll find are common to joyful followers of Christ. And this is not anything new, you know this, but we'll just review, okay? And uh, the first one is, they pursue Christ. And we could read uh, Philippians 3 and those verses there where Paul talks about, he counts all things, but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, that I may know Him, and the power of his resurrection and so on. He was his goal was pursuing Christ. And it's pursuing the person of Christ, not pursuing joy. We're not starting out here with thinking, uh, I want to be joyful, 
and make joy and getting to joy our priority. You know, we can uh, do things and uh, listen to music or be in a situation where our hearts are stirred, but the Spirit not be touched. The shepherds didn't say, let's go to Bethlehem and have a party. They said, let's go see Jesus. And that's what they did. And they found him there as the angel had told them they would. And joy followed. So Paul's goal was learning to know Jesus, the source of salvation and cleansing and deliverance and peace, and learning that Jesus is much more than a giver of good gifts. He's a wonderful person, a wonderful friend. We need him so much. He's a helper. He's praying for us. He's cheering for us. And to Paul, nothing mattered more than Jesus. Everything else was garbage. Now, the rich young ruler uh, thought Jesus after a fashion. He had something on his wish list that he really longed for and he thought Jesus could give him. And he saw Jesus a little more as a delivery man, maybe as a Santa Claus, though that was predated Santa Claus by many years. Somebody who could provide for him something that was missing in his life, something he was looking for. But he was not so much interested in Jesus as the Lord, as the Savior, and he turned away. He didn't have the same priority that Paul had. And he had the happiness that riches provided for him, but he didn't have eternal life, what he was really deeply wanting, and he didn't have joy either. He went away sorrowful. Peter wrote about the relationship we can have with Jesus by faith, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. So, a couple points about pursuing Jesus. Uh, those who pursue Jesus are committed to him. The Christmas song, Joy to the World, the Lord is come, let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And there, there needs to be a complete commitment, uh, an undivided loyalty uh, to Jesus, a forever commitment, one that's really settled, not a trial, not a trial uh, commitment. See how this works out. Try it for a month, sort of like New Year's resolutions that, like somebody said, the gave up his New Year's resolutions from that. But often the forever commitment is missing. And, and uh, those who are pursuing Christ express their devotion. That's what Paul was doing in prison. Praise and adoration. Worship and thanksgiving. Say it. Pray it. Sing it. 
joyful, joyful, we adore thee. And those who pursue Christ feed on the living bread and drink the living water. Reading the Bible, praying, those are practical things. Mysterious prayers of faith, believing, bring us close to God. Pursue Christ. The third characteristic is they pursue Christ-like character. That's all sort of one thing, maybe. I'm just making a different emphasis here, but um, looking to God for guidance to Christ, you will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Those who are pursuing Christ and finding joy want for themselves uh, what Jesus wants for them. When Jesus calls, follow me, he means more than let's be friends. He means become what I am. That's what discipleship is. That he might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. True disciples desire to please him. So that means walking by faith, obeying Christ, have the thoughts and attitudes, and to live the kind of life and actions that would honor Christ. And repenting when we fall short. But the bitter and unforgiving, the ungrateful and covetous, malcontent, the whiners and the complainers, the my way, me first, my turn, biggest teeth, people, the pleasure seekers, those people. Uh, with those characteristics are not on the path of life. And their desires are not to please God, but their goal is to please themselves. Selfish gratification. And in a Christian, when those characteristics uh, come up in a Christian's life, and they do, and I face them, probably you all have faced them, they are joy killers they stunt and they can eventually kill somebody's relationship with Christ. And that doesn't mean, again, uh, saying no to all personal enjoyment or fun things, but personal enjoyment with Christ as the master and in the context of being his disciple enjoying a good game of volleyball or reading a book or whatever else you may be into. And then the third characteristic is uh, they pursue service to others. Joyful Christians pursue service to others. So Paul uh, said to us in Philippians that we should look at Jesus and have the same kind of attitude and approach to life and people as he did. He took upon him the form of a servant. 
And Paul wrote in Galatians, by love, serve one another. And Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And Paul wrote to the Corinthians, God loves a cheerful giver. The old nature doesn't agree with that kind of approach to life. It says, my way, me first, my turn, I want the bigger. Serve me. And all of that is at odds with cheerful, Christ-like service to others. Joyful Christians have learned to say, how can I help? And they're willing to give, even sacrificially. And they don't think, what's in it for me when they relate to someone else, but how can I bless them? How can I benefit them? And service for the love of Christ is part of following Him. That's what drove Paul's ministry. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 15, he says, And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. I'll gladly give up my things and myself for your benefit. So wrapping up here, um, you know, the world is packed with people that are pursuing joy and happiness in their own way. And they may have all, they may all have enjoyment of some kind and fun, but they'll not have the joy of Jesus. So the bitter and the unforgiving and nurse their grudges and see their enemies get what's due to them. And the ungrateful and covetous malcontent can get everything they ever hope to have. And the whiners and the complainers can have everything work out their way. And the my way, me first, my turn, no fair, the biggest piece, mine, the best, and all that stuff. And the pleasure seekers can have every sensual pleasure and thrill. But unless there's a change of heart and a change in their pursuit, when they come to the end of life, they'll be on empty. They'll have nothing. And before them is an eternity of torment. And Christians, the joyless Christians who are, or rather, let's say, the low joy Christians, those who are struggling with carnality, like I don't think the Corinthians were so joyful when Paul wrote to them, and let's say, uh, I would say did respond to his letter, but even his second letter uh, had some some confirmed uh, instructions to them. They they had quite a ways to grow, and um, you know in Romans seven, that's not a very joyful uh, situation. People that live there, they miss 
so much. Christians that live there miss so much. They struggle in that. They miss a lot. And they're less effective. But for the devoted Christian, there is a deep and spiritual joy found in knowing and following Jesus. And they have a lifelong goal of becoming more like Him and pursuing as Christ's disciples a life of service for His sake. Those who learn to love God uh, and live that way experience a joy that the world cannot know. And when they reach the end of life, they're at the beginning of an even greater joy, of the greatest joy possible for man, redeeming man with Jesus himself. No more struggle with sin and self. And so Jude says at the end of his epistle, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. We need that. And to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God our Savior, the glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen.